Amen. Grab a seat, and as you do, grab your Bibles. Get with me to Philippians chapter 1. That was, um, <clears throat> that was really cool. <laughs> There's a profound statement, right? <laughs> and why it was so cool, like I remember, you know, I remember the days, we're two years old, right? But I remember like just launching and um, launching the church and like the South Side, uh, the South Side Southside Christian culture is like, I, we were, you know, we found to be a very like buttoned up culture, you know, let's keep everything right here in the box. And Pastor DJ said it best, if we can't get it fired up for Jesus, what can we get fired up for? And I was just thinking as we were standing or sitting there singing there and, and you know, and the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, Old Testament. This has nothing to do with the message, okay? So you feel like, where's he going with that? I don't even know. Um, the Ark of the Covenant's coming back into, you know, they're bringing it back. And David, King David, is dancing. King, the king, he's dancing. That isn't what the dignitaries did. That wasn't dignified. And like he shows up back home and he walks in the door and his wife's like, what was that? What were you? You made a fool out of yourself. And you know, he said, I'll become even more undignified than this. And just like, just cool. Just cool. Thank you for going all out in worship there. Philippians chapter 1. If, if, I, if I haven't said it yet, if you need a Bible under a seat close by, you'll find one. And if you don't own a Bible, please leave with that. We would love for you to leave with a copy of God's Word. Um, find in the table of contents there this book called Philippians. And um, uh, we, we get in this study, if you're just joining us, we're walking very slowly through the, one of the books in the New Testament. It's just four chapters long. It's like this tiny little treasure in the New Testament called the book of Philippians. And um, we're walking slowly through this. And um, we come to a paragraph in this book today that, man, I'll just be honest with you, the message I have prepared does not do this passage justice. And as I start talking about this, I just want to start with this statement. What we believe about dying, what we believe about dying may best determine how we go about living. And some of you know that to be so much truer than, more true than I do standing up here and saying that. Because you maybe have received news at some time in your life that like for the first time in your life you were like, you were confronted with the reality of days being numbered. What we truly believe in our heart, not what we say we believe in our head, but what we truly believe in our heart about dying will dictate how we go about living. Some of you know the reality of that because um, maybe the number next to that age thing in your life is a little higher. And you just know kind of the reality of it that is the age number increases, the likelihood of our, uh, us being closer to this thing called death is just higher. But young people, listen to me. Young people, look at me. 
What you believe about dying, even right now as a 13, 14, 18, 25, 35-year-old, will greatly impact how you go about living with the years that God gives you here on this earth. Because here's the thing. Every culture for all of history, hasn't. we don't know what to do with this thing called death. Every culture in all of history has, has feared in some ways this thing called death. That's what's absolutely crazy about a statement we're going to find in the Bible today. It's crazy. If you're here and you're a Jesus follower, let me say this. If you're going to live out a faith that's consistent with this book, you will look absolutely crazy. Because what we're going to find in a very short little verse today is this guy named Paul who wrote this. He's going to say, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is... Okay, here's, the, here's, the, here's a, something we've got to wrestle with, and, and if you've grown up, grown up in church, if you're more familiar with the Bible, you're very familiar with that verse, the danger of verses we're familiar. Why are verses familiar? Why are some verses familiar? Because they're flat out so good. They contain some depth of the truth of life. And we slap them on a Christian coffee mug and we're like, yeah. Before we slap this thing on a Christian coffee mug, because it is so good in depth. Man, when we come here today, let's slow down. Let's meditate on it. Because for the first time in my life this week, it really hit me that when Paul says to die is gain, he actually meant it. For the first time in my life, I sat down and I read these words this week as a 30-year-old with a wife and two little boys at home. And like I just had to push my Bible back and go, Lord, could I say in integrity right now that to die would be gain? But Christian, if we can come to a place in this life where we can say to live is Christ, to die is just gain, it will radically affect the years we spend here. I want to read this whole passage, and then I want to pray, and then we're going to break it apart in chunks. But I think for this passage, you have to hear the whole thing together before we break it into its pieces. And so um, let me read it here, beginning in the middle of 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. Yes, and I will be glad. Yes, and I will take joy in. For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Pray with me. Father, every, every word of your word desperately needs to be breathed, breathed out by your spirit into our hearts. And yet, Lord, I feel the weight this week of trying to articulate into words this message of what it would actually look like to live a life where we believed in our heart to die and be with you is gain. That the next life is better than this life. God, that would change everything about how we walk out of here. We would be the fearless, faith-filled followers of Jesus, Lord, that you so desire for us to be. And so, Lord, you know, you know better than anyone how feeble this message is to try to communicate the depths of this reality. And yet, Lord, I praise God that you love to use weak things. I praise God that you love, you just look down and you just pat us and you're like, that was cute, now watch, watch me work. I'm begging you, Lord, to come do that. Speak in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out, and I need some help coming up, this will turn out for what? For my deliverance. Okay, stop right there, and we need to understand again, almost every week I'm going to bring this up as we study the book of Philippians. We have to understand the context in which this letter was written. This is a letter written by a, a, a missionary, Paul back to a church in the city of Philippi, and he's writing this letter, pop quiz, from where? He's writing it from prison. He's writing it from prison. He's got the chains clanging, and he's got the guards standing. He's writing this letter back to these Jesus followers, and in, the, in verse 19, he says something that is consistent kind of with his context of being in prison. He says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. That word deliverance, same Greek word used to talk about salvation or to be saved. Now, we have to get deeper than just the surface of this word deliverance. Because if we're not careful, we will read this and go, oh, uh, Paul's talking about being let out of prison. Maybe. You know what I also think Paul's talking about with this word? I think he's saying, regardless of the outcome, whether I remain in prison and it leads to my execution, guess what? I'm delivered. Or, 
Should the Lord look down and say, no, I want, Paul, I still got some use for you. And the chains are going to come off and I'm going to open the door and you're going back out and you're going to be freed from prison. He goes, okay, I'm delivered. But Paul is saying, either way, in prison, executed, I'm delivered. Let out of prison, onto my ministry, I'm delivered. This, folks, is truly the win-win life that is in Jesus Christ. Write this down. In life or death, Jesus will deliver me from this. We'll get to whatever that this is in your life. In life or death, Jesus will deliver me from this. Now, I, wanted to, I want to kind of illustrate this in a way... Um, in a way that we can try to grasp, because I know maybe we say it in our head that in life or death, like Paul's like, I'm going to be delivered from this, but I want us to feel this. I want us to grasp this, and I, and I want to do this through um, kind of two God at work stories in our church. And so um, let me introduce many of you uh, to a dear woman you're going to see here a picture of that we loved greatly in our church. Her name is Cynthia Gillespie. And some of you got the privilege in the short time that uh, Cynthia was able to call Harvest home. Some of you got the great privilege of meeting this woman. Others of you, I'm going to kind of introduce you to her story here um, in this time. But I, I don't want you to lose sight as I talk about these two God at work stories, the context of verse 19. Uh, Cynthia has a lot of family in our church here. And uh, one of her brothers, Greg, attended Harvest, was part of a core group uh, before this church even launched. And in March of 2016, uh, Greg shared the gospel with her. And, um, and she just kind of set that off to the side. I um, don't know if it was politely or impolitely, but she just, that's okay. Thanks, but no thanks. And um, shortly after that, though, around June of 2016, um, the Lord started drawing her in here to harvest. And I, I remember well, one of the things when someone's new at our church, we, we try to have people be intentional to reach out to them. And I remember Cynthia saying, you know, I showed up that Sunday in June and like that Wednesday or Thursday, my phone rang and I picked it up and it was Therese Anderson from church. She's like, hey, Cynthia, this is Therese. And she's like, oh no, these church people got my number. <clears throat> And um, yeah, just did a great conversation with Therese. And another thing the Lord was using, and Cynthia kept coming back, and she kept coming back. And um, I think it was early August of 2016, Pastor DJ had just preached a message. And like a beeline, Cynthia made her way up to him as, you know, everyone was leaving. And um, if you knew Cynthia, you knew she was direct. And I love when Pastor DJ talked, he just, hey, I want to get saved. And DJ kind of, you know, when we were talking about this before, DJ, I think was kind of doing like, the, oh, yes, you know, let's talk about that. And she's like, no, no, like, I want to get saved. <laughs> and right here in this place, at the age of 69 years old, Cynthia Gillespie bowed her knee to Jesus as Lord. <clears throat> Last September... About a year ago at this time, we baptized her. She stood in the tank, went public with her faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something, the woman standing in that tank right there, ask her family, was a different woman. From the inside out, different. 
That's September of 2016. On March 17th of 2017, this year, uh, Cynthia was diagnosed with cancer. And it quickly began to take its toll on her. And um, it was July 13th of this year that this Savior she had just met personally less than a year before called her into his presence. And it was sweet. Come on, Brock. And as a church family and her family, um, we, we experience that whirlwind of emotions that happens at a time. You know what I'm talking about? We're like there's this grieving over the loss, and yet there's this rejoicing that's like, she's with Jesus. Hashtag jealous. <clears throat> Cynthia didn't know what a hashtag was, I don't think. <laughs> and um, this is the story of Cynthia Gillespie. Now, with that in our mind, I want to invite someone to the stage with me. David, come on up here with me. When Paul says, I know through your prayers and I know by the power of the Spirit, I'm going to be delivered from this. And I believe the implication of that word, salvation, to be saved, delivered, is this two-pronged. Whether that means God chooses to do it this way or whether that means God chooses to release me one way or the other, I'm going to be delivered for this. I invited David up here today because you just heard Cynthia Gillespie's story. David has a very similar story in some ways and yet in some ways different for how it has turned out. And so, David, I'd love to just start. Would you mind sharing with our church family, when did you come into relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, when I was in 1962, yes, there was a time then, um, <laughs> I wanted to be baptized. I loved the Lord. I thought that was great. I just wanted to read everything I could about it and be there. Um, but like many people, I got older and I... Went in the military, and I, uh, I went to night school for college, and then I created a business and kind of got caught in that. Uh, but in the fall of 1999, the Lord just said, I'm done with that, and he just grabbed hold of me. And I've been uh, preaching and talking and, and talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, ever since. So 1999, he grabs a hold of you, and then uh, what, spring of 2013 is kind of a year Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that you got some news that literally changed your life as you knew it. Tell us about 2013. Yeah. In uh, 2002, uh, on my birthday, I woke up with what I thought was a spider bite on my neck. So divot there now. Um, and uh, so I, you know, thought it was a spider bite. But uh, I, within a few weeks, uh, fortunately, my oncologist is a beautiful Christian woman, uh, Daniel Doyle. And uh, she said she had me in getting tested pretty quickly, biopsy, and Sure enough, I had uh, what they call head and neck cancer of an unknown source. And they said, well, you're going to go through some horrendous treatment. It's going to be got, got hit by a bus, but you're going to survive. So I had uh, 23 lymph nodes taken out and went to chemo or to radiation for about six, seven weeks every day and had chemo. And then I went through another series of it until I got a break. Yeah. And that was... Uh, 
And that part of 13. Yeah. And so that's spring of 13. Yes. And November of 13, you get some um, very direct news. What was the news? Yeah. That, that and so part? what had happened is that uh, uh, we had, one, had, had a PET scan, and they checked it. And uh, unfortunately, they found cancer that had metastasized in my body to my right lung. I had two spots. And uh, uh, the... Uh, the outcome before was, you know, it was going to hurt and do all this, but you're going to be fine. And the outcome now was like, we're talking, how do we extend your time? You know, where are you going to go? So it's, that was kind of the, the story. And uh, I had the opportunity to meet with uh, my niece right away, had me you know, back in chemo. And, um, and then uh, I had to go see my, the same doctor did this surgery, and he was a young guy. Well, your age. <laughs> Maybe a little bit older, but... He, uh, he turned real pale, and I said, well, what does this mean? Because I knew my niece was kind of protecting me a little bit. And he just sat down, he turned pale, and he said, months, a year. And then I got to talk to my radiologist, who was, he said, well, you're an engineer, you understand that. The, she had, you know, if you know what the medium is, of, of 10 people, five are gone in a couple months, six months, and a couple more might go you know, up to a year, and then a little after that. Hmm. And that was kind of the, the word that I had at that time. Yeah. So David, you get news in November of 13 that you're maybe thinking, they're thinking six months to a year. What goes through, what goes through your mind when you hear that? Well, uh, for many years, for my, there's people in this room that I had Bible studies with, I used to always teach if Jesus Christ come to that door and said, I want you, would you go? Hmm. I'm gonna tell you, a lot of people said my kids or my parents or the grandkids, I want to stick around a little bit. I was always, I'm ready to go. Hmm. So at this point in time, I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'll get everything in order and I'll be ready to go. Yeah. You know, and uh, fortunately for me, um, uh, I, like in, on that year, for that year, I decided for Christmas that I would get a little clock for some of the members of my family. And on the back of it, I put uh, Psalms uh, 3115, which says, my time is in your hands. It's all up to the Lord. Um, and then uh, we had a great Christmas. And uh, in January, I got asked by mayor of Indianapolis to come to some award thing. And I said, okay. So I showed up, and then I got an award. Hmm. And so they whispered to me, well, you might have to say something. 1,200 people, they were coming there to hear about businesses getting an award if you're a minority company or a women-owned business or whatever. And I talked to him about the power of prayer in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And from that time, people wanted to know why or how could you be so comfortable. Yeah. And so lunches and invites and all that, and we talked about Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's what's been going Amen. on. And so, let's see, that is, I'm not great at math, but four years ago. Yeah. What are doctors telling you today? Um, well, my young niece tells me she always wanted a miracle, so I might be her first. Mm. Um, but uh, right now what they're telling me is that uh, because in, in 14, after it went to my right lung, it went to my left lung, we cut part of that out. Um, they, uh, they now say if I can get to 2000, October of 19, then I might be cured. Mm. So that's pretty cool. Wow. And um, in your story, you heard a pastor get up one time and talk about taking a Bible into the hospital and um, just ministering to people with God's word who found themselves sick or in seasons of life like this. And you whispered in the back of your head when you heard that, that'll never be me. Um, 
Never say never, right? Because yeah. since uh, you've gotten this news, what's your ministry look like? Um, I have, uh, well, never say never to the Lord because <laughs> he's in charge. Yeah. And uh, he was in charge the whole time I was sick, um, lost a lot of weight, you know, bald and kind of crazy looking. Um, the Lord was with me. He was there. And when you were having a hard time, the Lord would show me the, the beauty of the flowers or the sun, the warmth of the sun in your body or the snow sticking to the trees. You know, you just kind of could feel him there walking with you. And then he would bring these people in front of me, and there's a couple of them that are real important. There's one I'm working with right now. He's been at cancer. He's been in cancer for five years. Chemo doesn't work, and he's on some experimental thing, but it's in his liver. It's everywhere. And so he's going to die, and he's now talking prayer, which has taken three years. Hmm. Um, I had another uh, older gentleman at our last church that we were at, uh, Kenton, really wonderful guy. I had cancer. He was real supportive, but then he got it. And he got sick very quickly. And uh, his question was, how can you be so sure? I said, you know, you're going to be with the Lord. Matter of fact, this, this is a verse that I use over and over. And he, I said, you're going to be with the Lord. Hmm. He says, how do you know? And I talked to him. I said, God wouldn't lie to you. The Lord's told you that salvation is there. So have a, a man who's much older than I was crying and tears in his eyes hmm. holding my hand and yeah. saying, thank you. Yeah. And then finally yeah. accepting Christ, yeah. was, and he was saved. Yeah. And uh, that was a great story. Yeah. For those who I remember in, in 2014, when Israel was getting bombed, my niece had told me one thing, do everything you want to do now. Because, you know, we had more surgery coming and all that. So we went to Israel. And that was when everybody was bombing Israel. And so my wife and I and my nephew and some went. And we saw where in Israel and Rome, and we actually saw where Paul was held captive. We have yeah. pictures of that somewhere around here. Yeah. Um, and uh, the thing about it is, with all the bombings, nobody showed up. My wife just had knee surgery, so we couldn't really get around very well because I'd been through all this other chemo stuff. But every place we went that usually take hours, we just walk right up there and put our hands in and out. We had a guide, and he said he'd never seen this before. Yeah. And we got to walk the path. We went to Galilee and Jerusalem, the Dead Sea, the scrolls, and all that. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful experience, and yeah. the Lord is always there. And like right now, today, I find that my phone doesn't stop. There's people to pray with. There's people who are sick. People get to grow. There's family members who have cancer now. Mm -hmm. I get to be with them. Amen. I want you to stay right here, David. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. If we were to ask the world... um, Two, two stories, both Jesus followers, both people beloved by God. If we were to ask the world, who was delivered from this? What would they say? What would the world say? David was. And, and I'm confused. Like, you say God loves both of them the same, and they're both diagnosed with this sickness, and the Lord in a matter of months takes one, and the Lord, years later, here's the other one standing right here before us. The foundational Christian belief to the, the foundational Christian belief and the answer to the question, who is delivered, is both of them were. Paul says, if I stay, it just means more fruitful labor for Christ. If I stay, it just means more fruitful labor for Christ. But the greater deliverance is the day we'll get to stand before Jesus and we'll see him face to face. 
And David, we're jealous of that, right? Yes, absolutely. We thank David for just sharing his story with us. Thanks, David. And, and now I know this. We wrestle, you're wrestling in your heart to go, do I really believe that though? Do I really believe that Cynthia was delivered, the ultimate deliverance, the ultimate save to go and be with Jesus? I believe it intellectually. Do I believe it in my heart? And when we see a point on a sermon like this, in life or death, Jesus will deliver me from this. Listen, I love you enough to say this. Whatever that this is in your life, whatever it is that you would love to be delivered from the Lord from, if it's similar to these two stories that we have here, if it's something completely different, let me speak very candidly to you and let me say this. What is the worst thing that could happen in that scenario? You could die. And if you know him, guess what? It's nothing but pure gain. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Why do I believe Paul means either deliverance through life or death? Because look at what verse 20 says. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. What are you talking about, Paul? What do you mean that you won't be ashamed? That it's your eager expectation that you will not be ashamed, keep reading, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by what? Now I need us to slow down. I need you to understand what Paul just said. Translate that into how we talk today. Here's what Paul just said. God, whatever will bring the name of Jesus more honor, do that. If that means me living, great. If that means me dying, great. Do whatever will bring you more honor. And life or death, secondly, my highest goal is his highest honor. I know as we're filling those in, that's like, is that true in my life? Can we say that our highest goal is his highest honor? Because you and I both know this. We know the tension between living for ourselves and our honor and living for the Lord and his honor. And there's something that's always in that deep, dark corner of our heart that says, live for yourself. Do this for you. You deserve this. And, and life's about you and all of these things. Listen, it's a lie. If you want to be miserable, live for yourself. If you want to experience joy unspeakable, die to yourself and live for Jesus Christ. Your greatest joy in life will come from living for him. Your greatest misery in life will come from living for yourself. That's why some of the most selfish people we know are the most miserable people. Because from the beginning of the foundation of time, when God created man and he created woman, he created them for his glory. It means this. Your life the purpose of your life. You want me to tell you what the purpose of your life is today? Yes. To put God on display. God's glory means this, to put him on display. 
The purpose of your life is to put Jesus Christ on display. When you show grace to someone who everyone watching goes, why did you show grace to that person? When you forgive someone who everyone else would say, they don't deserve your forgiveness. The way that you go to work and work unto the glory of God. The way you show up in your class and do schoolwork to the glory of God. The way that you interact with people, believers and unbelievers, all of it is putting Christ on display and that's exactly what you were created to do. That if you can say that my highest goal is his highest honor, I'm telling you, joy unspeakable found in that. And Paul says, whatever it is that will bring you most honor, whether that mean life or death, and now the very famous coffee, co- coffee mug verse, Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I fear sometimes in our culture today, we get this backwards. And we say... We believe, we live as if what verse 121 says is for me to live is gain and to die is to go be with Christ. It's not what he says here. He says to live is Christ. We're going to talk about what that means. To die is pure gain. So what does he mean? Let's break these two things. What does he mean when he says To live is Christ. Third point, write this down. In life, my days will be spent in fruitful labor for Christ. This is what it means to live as Christ. Verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Do you understand what he's saying? No, 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 no. Get this in your heart. Do you know when you have a proposition in life and it's a win-win? These are some of the hardest decisions to make. When you're like, both are good, like what shall I do? He says, I'm hard-pressed. I have a win-win situation in front of me. What's the win-win, Paul? To die or to live. That is a win-win for Paul. He says, if I'm to live though, It means fruitful labor. Look what else, uh, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I'll continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. To live means others' progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In life, my days will be spent in fruitful labor for Christ. I want us to feel the tension of this. I want us to feel the good weight of this. Folks, we have a finite number of days on this earth. Man, let's not waste those away just on frivolous things. You know, around here, one of my favorite quotes, my favorite poems, written by a stud named C.T. Stud. I wish my name was Stud with two D's. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now listen, I know some of us in here were like, all right, I'm selling the house and I'm moving to Africa. <laughs> and if that's what Jesus Christ says to do, you better do it. Agree? If that's what Jesus Christ says to do, you better do it. 
and you will experience the joy unspeakable that comes from that. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Might mean sell everything, move to an unreached people group and tell them about Jesus Christ. And man, we pray as a church, we're sending out all kinds of people like that. You know what it also might mean? Stay right there in the context in which God has you and live in the same context, same neighborhood, same job, same people, same friends, all of that with a completely different motive of how you're going to win them to Jesus Christ. If I live, Paul says, it just means more fruitful labor for Christ. Now let's talk about this in death thing. Last point, in death, I'll experience great gain because to be with him is far better than to be here Back to verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. Look at what he says about death. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. I desire more to go be with him right now, for that is what he says, far better. Hear me. Paul had to die to himself in order to desire to stay here and live. Follow the logic of that statement. He had to die to himself in order to desire to stay here any longer and not go see Jesus right now. And it wasn't because he was so miserable. Oh, just kill me now, Lord. It was because he was so joyful over the proposition of one day hearing his Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. For to me, to live as Christ to die is gain. So, um, Christians in the south side of Indy, 2017, um, how do we live that? Sorry, you're like, what are you pointing at? How do we live that? How do I really live in such a way that I believe with every fiber of my being that if I'm still here upright with a heartbeat and breathing, God is keeping me here for fruitful labor for his glory and his name. And I have a finite amount of time to steward that well. And then what happens in our heart when we truly believe that on the day when our chest rises and falls for the last time, and the people who circle that bed that together in the midst, midst of the whirlwind of the grief of the moment are going to collectively rejoice going, gain. The final victory. Folks, if we will believe this, we will say, what is the worst thing that could happen? Well, the worst thing that could happen is I could die. Wow, when? Imagine the cure for fear that that is. Um, imagine the faith igniter in our heart that will be. Hey, uh, Brock, I, I want you to move your family into a um, super dangerous neighborhood. 
for the glory of the gospel, showing and telling Jesus Christ to these people. Um, but Lord, um, we could die. Paul would go, sweet. And now if you're here right now and you're not a Christian, you're going, this is what makes these people whack jobs. I mean, I went to church this week and the pastor's talking about dying and it's like he's pumped about it. I want you to hear this if you're not a Christian. Here's why we're pumped about it. We're not living life on a suicide mission. We actually believe in this really high sovereignty of a God who created us who values our life more than we do. He values our life more than we do so much that you and I have totally botched this thing up. You're like, you don't know me. I, I know I don't know you, but I know, I know me. And I know how badly I've botched this thing up. And I bet you can relate on some things. God calls that sin. And he says it's our sin that has separated us from a, a relationship with him. He, from the foundation of the earth, has desired a relationship with you. The God who created the oceans and the seas and the trees and the leaves that are about to fall off them, the God who created all of that wants to, here's the word, he wants to know you. He wants to know you. He wants to know you. Personally and intimately. And so he saw how we botched this up and he saw our sin problem and here's what he did. He sent his son, his only begotten son and his son came to this world and his name is Jesus Christ and he was fully man and he was fully God. He was born where the animals sleep and he was laid where the animals eat and he slept where the homeless slept. And he died where the criminals died. And then some guy who was moved with compassion, he didn't even have a place to be buried, so he said, he can be buried in one of my places. And he did all that because our sin had to be paid for. And it has, sin always has to be paid for with death. You have a Savior who paid for your sin by dying on the cross for you. And then three days later, let me tell you what happened. Some women are coming, and they're coming to prepare his body for, for, a, a, for a right burial, just the way we would honor someone we love today. And they're coming to prepare his body for a proper burial. And they show up in this tomb that he had been in. And you've heard the story. They show up and the stone is rolled away. And they're thinking worst case scenario. Someone has come and defiled his grave. Someone has come and stolen the body. And imagine this moment as they walk in and they're looking around and they're seeing the claws. And an angel goes, uh, hey. Just imagine that. An angel like, hey. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. When Jesus rose, he conquered death, conquered sin. And if you're here today, and there's fear in your heart over this thing called death, 
our greatest prayer is that you would be able to know before you walk out of these doors in your heart what it means for you to say to live as Christ and to die as gain. I just get to go be with him. So the Bible tells you if that's you and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if right there in your seat right now you're going, what's the number? The way we call on the Lord is through this thing called prayer. And maybe you've never prayed a prayer in your life. God's not looking for a special prayer voice right now. There's no formula for how this works. He wants you and all of who you are to call out to him right now and say, Jesus, I'm done living with myself as king of my life. I surrender right now. In the same way Cynthia Gillespie made a beeline right here as a 69-year-old woman said, I'm done I want to get saved. And so just bow your heads with me right now. And I'm just praying and trusting that by the Spirit of God in this place right now, that those of you who need to know that you know that you know Him, in your seat right there would be calling on Jesus to come save you. Stay in a spirit of prayerfulness. Stand with me. Just stay in a spirit of prayerfulness as you stand. I'm trusting that in this room right now, every soul can say, I know Jesus Christ. I just met him 30 seconds ago, or I've known him for 30 years. For us to live as Christ and to die is nothing but sweet gain. Just stay right there. DJ, will you just sing this verse over us right now? No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home And here in the power of Christ I'll stand No guilt in life, no fear in death This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell No scheme of man can ever pluck us from his hand Guess what? Till he returns or calls us home, here in the power of Christ, we stand. Let's lift our voices and worship in that way together. No guilt in life, 